0: Ephesians chapter 3. Before we get into that, I remember the feeling I had whenever I first felt like I was called into some kind of ministry. And let me tell you, I was not excited about it. If I was, to be honest, I was terrified. I'm like, I can't speak in front of people. Like, I can't do what Pastor Jeff does and preach to people. Like, that terrifies me. And the thought of that, it still kind of terrifies me. Uh, But, so what happened was... The fall of my freshman year, I encountered Jesus and I had a, I felt like I had an encounter that changed my life and I wanted people to know about it. And so I went to this conference, this guy named Brian Jerry, he was preaching about how being a Christian is a lot like being pregnant, you know, you either are or you're not. Like there's no in between. Like if you're pregnant, you're you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. There's no in between. You're like, I'm kind of pregnant. I might be. No, you either are or you're not. Christianity is a lot like that. You either are or you're not. Like, there's no in between. You're like, I, I might be a Christian. I go to church. I call myself a Christian. My grandma has this Bible that's been in our house. It's on the table. No. That's not how it works. You're a Christian or you're not a Christian. And so he preached that message. And I'm like, you know what? That's really good. There's going to be this thing called tear at the pole. We're doing this Bible study thing. Um, I want to go and I want to preach that message. I want to tell people about that because there's a lot of people at my school. Whoa. And God said, let there be light. There we go. And there's light. There's good. Just kidding. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And And we're not going to read Genesis chapter 1 now. But I saw in my high school, I was a brand new Christian. I was like, there's a lot of people here who say they're Christians, who go to church, but I don't see them living that in the hallways. Like, they need to know. They're a Christian or they're not. Being a Christian is like being pregnant. And so that's what I went and started telling people uh, at, in front of my high school. I'm like, you know what? Being a Christian is like being pregnant. And met with the same response. You know, it didn't make sense. But that is okay. So we started doing that every week, having little small devotions. Uh, and like I felt like, okay, maybe this is something that God's calling me to do. And then it was one time, a few weeks after this, Rick was, me and him we were driving to the church. He's like, yeah, I feel like God's calling you in a ministry. I'm like, what do you mean? No, I don't want to do that. I, I I, was like, I just smiled and nodded. and You know, like, what are you supposed to do? But deep down inside, I was like, I don't, I don't know. That, that scares me. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I, I don't know where. I don't know when. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't want to go to college. You know, all these thoughts started coming to my head. I did not want to do it. Um, but God began to change my heart and began to, to prepare prepare and equip me uh, for what he was calling me to do. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, uh, Paul, he says, The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. So if you missed last week, uh, and again, all these messages are on the podcast, so you can go back and listen to these again so that you're always caught up in what we're talking about. But last week we talked about how the Gentiles, that is everyone who is not a Jew. And Paul talked about how there should be unity between the Jews and the Gentiles, that the Christianity, it wasn't just for Jews, it was for everybody. And that was the mystery uh, that Paul was explaining. So the first five verses of this chapter, Paul is saying, this is a mystery. This is what God has called me to do, to preach to the Gentiles. And so here again, he's hitting on it. He says, they are co-heirs. They're members of the same body. The fact that Paul is getting at is that the gospel is big enough and it is good enough to save everybody. Save anybody. Save so anyone, no matter how good or bad you think you are. The gospel is big enough to bring everybody into the family of God. It doesn't matter if they're a jerk. It doesn't matter if they didn't believe in God. God's power is big enough to change even the worst people. Paul says that he was made a servant of this gospel. He says, "I'm a slave of the gospel. I'm a servant of the gospel." In this word that Paul's using, he is saying that I, I, I'm taking the low road. Like I'm not good enough to be called one of the highest saints. He's not promoting himself as some kind of great Christian figure. He says that he is a slave to the gospel. And it actually kind of makes sense whenever we understand who Paul is. Right now, Paul is this guy who's writing the Bible. He's writing the book of Ephesians. As we saw in this video, he's writing it from jail. But way before Paul became a Christian, Paul was actually an enemy of Christians. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8 and 9. Paul was one of the Jews who hated Christians, and who was actually one of the leading people going around hunting down Christians to literally stone them, which means they were going to throw rocks at them until they died. He was involved in killing Christians because they were Christians. So a lot of the Christians at that time, whenever you read that, they knew who Paul was. Paul was not a good guy. And so what happened, Paul had an encounter with Jesus, like the living Jesus came down. Paul was on his way to a city on his way to actually arrest Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem to kill them and to arrest them. And so while Paul is on his way to go do a very bad thing, he gets stopped in the middle of the road by Jesus. And Jesus calls him. He says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Of course, Paul, he's persecuting Christians. But Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul had a, a, a radical encounter. His life was changed. He's like, if this is Jesus, I, I believe in Jesus And so Paul was changed, and now the Paul that we know, he went around preaching the gospel to everyone who would listen. He went around, he started planting churches, he went on mission trips, and he planted different churches in different cities. He preached to thousands of people, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we read, including the letter that we are writing right now. This is a guy who was not a very good guy. So Paul, he says, I'm a slave of the gospel. I'm a, I'm a servant. He's taken the low road. He says, I'm not the, I'm not some somebody who's trying to promote himself. I am just doing what God has called me to do because I know what the grace means. We are servants of the gospel. A servant doesn't use the gospel for personal gain. Like if you think that there's any kind of personal gain in being a Christian or going to church, there's none of that. The gospel or about going to church or being a Christian is not so that people can think that we're good people. There's no prestige in being a Christian. We should have the same attitude as Paul in saying that we are servants of the gospel. What that means is that we live a life that is always trying to get closer to God. Our life should point others to God. Like, I, I just want to get closer to Jesus. I just want to be more like Jesus. That is what our life should look like whenever we are servants of the gospel. It means that we live a life that is showing that we have been affected by the grace of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Being a servant of the gospel means that we're living a life that shows that our life has been affected by the grace of Jesus. Of Jesus, That means we don't just know about the grace of Jesus. I feel like I preach that to you guys so much that we are saved by grace, which means it's something that we didn't deserve, we didn't earn. We can't work for it. We're never going to be good enough, but we get it anyways. It's more than just knowing that, but it's being showing our lives is affected by that. By saying, I, I can't believe that God would save me. And we that lives out. We show that our life has been affected by the grace of Jesus, Whenever we show grace to others. Whenever we forgive, even whenever it hurts and costs us. Whenever we show love when somebody doesn't deserve love. Whenever you do things for the best interest of others and not just for yourself. That one's kind of hard. Like, I'm going to do this, even though like, it's going to hurt me, but it's going to help somebody else. That is how we show that our life has truly been affected by grace. We become a servant to all that the gospel entails. If you're taking notes, this might be something that you want to write down. A changed life should be evident. A changed life should want to see that same change happen in other people's lives. Like if your life is truly changed, if you have truly had an encounter with Jesus, then that changed life should want to see that same thing happen in other people's lives as well whenever i finally gave my life to jesus my freshman year of high school something changed inside of me like there's no doubt about it like i was i was coming to church for months before that before i started coming to church i considered myself to be an atheist i didn't know what an atheist was i didn't know what a christian was i just believed that if i died there was nothing out there i didn't believe that there was a god i i i saw christians as hypocrites but whenever i finally gave my life to jesus after eight, nine months of coming to church, something changed inside of me. I I, I felt alive for once. I felt like something was different. I felt like I was a new person. I felt some kind of energy, some kind of joy, some kind of peace. And so I wanted everybody I came in contact with to experience that same change. I wanted people to know that they can be changed as well. And so you guys have heard this story. And when I tell this story, I don't want you to get the impression that I was perfect. I don't want you to get the impression that I had it all figured out, that I was doing everything right because that's not the case. But there was some kind of deep desire that happened in me that I just wanted everybody to know that something changed and it can happen for them too. Now, did I still care what people thought about me? Yeah, I did. Did I still want to fit in and still want to be liked by people? Of course I did. That I want to hide my Bible whenever I was walking around or not be so outgoing so that people didn't think weird things about me or think I was just a weird person? I I, I didn't want that. I didn't want people to think I was weird. Sometimes I was tempted to hide my Bible, to, to just kind of lay low for a little while. Whenever I was afraid, or was I afraid to answer questions, or was I afraid that somebody was going to come up to me with a Bible question that I didn't know just so they could stump me and make me look like, a fool. Yes, I was afraid that was going to happen because I was carrying a Bible around. And sometimes it even did. There's a lot of times that I was carrying this around and I'm like, okay, this person's going to ask me a question. I'm not going to know the answer. And the thing is that that happens. And I'm like, I don't know. And it was, it, it gets embarrassing. Like, But you're the person who walks around with the Bible. Why don't you know everything about the Bible? That's a different story for a different day. I was scared about those things. I didn't want people to think I was weird. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like... But each morning... I was able to put those fears aside because I knew that what I experienced and what I believed was real. I believed that the change that happened inside of me, and I believed that the things I believed were real. And so that was, gave me the ability to put away those fears because I knew a life change had happened. It was life changing. It was transforming It was exactly what I needed whenever it happened, and it was exactly what everybody in my high school needed as well. And so with that belief, because I believe that I was changed, I believe that I experienced something. Every morning before I went to school, I prayed for boldness, and I wanted, and I asked God to make me a servant of his gospel. I said, God, I need boldness. God, I'm afraid. I don't want to do this. I want people to like me. I want people to accept me. And so I had to literally ask God for boldness every single morning. And It was challenging, but I believe it was what God was calling me to do with my school. It was uncomfortable. A lot of people thought I was weird at first, but I believe it was what God was calling me to do. And now again, there was nothing about me that was perfect. I still made mistakes even publicly in front of people. But I was still just trying to obey God every time I thought about it. So we need to become servants of the gospel. And we need to proclaim the gospel. But the question that should come whenever we hear that is what should we proclaim? Like what is it that our lives should be living out? What is it that we should be telling other people? And so Paul, he continues his thought in verse 8. He says, This grace was given to me, the least of all saints, To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. So, to show how humble that Paul's view of himself was under God's grace, he calls himself the least of all the saints. And so what's actually funny, uh, and this doesn't, this doesn't affect you guys at all, like this is just a random Bible fact, the word that Paul used right there in the Greek, it's actually not a real Greek word. He just made it up in that. Uh, if we could translate that into an English, it's actually not a real English word either. But Paul is saying is like, I am the leaster of all saints. Like, that doesn't make sense, but that's literally what he said. It's not a real word, and it's never used again anywhere in Greek. He says, I'm the leaster of all saints. Like, I'm the leastest of every Christian that ever was. I'm the least. That's how the view that Paul had, and that is the same attitude that we should have whenever we are sharing the gospel and sharing our love of God to the world. We should say, I'm the leaster. Like, just cannot use that. People would immediately just like, okay, this guy is weird. Don't use that word. But we should have that same attitude. Like we should never, whenever we want to share God's love with somebody who needs God's love, we should never go and be like, you are wrong, and here's why you're wrong. And if you don't change, you're going to hell. Like no, that is the exact thing that we should not say. Our attitude should be like, I was broken. But God's grace made me whole. I was lost, but God allowed me to find him. I was dead in my sins, but God made me alive. And all that was done by God's grace and God's mercy. And the cool thing is that there was nothing I could ever do to earn it or deserve it, but God gave it to me anyways. I'm the least of all Christians, but I am so overjoyed. I'm so shocked that God would even love me and show me his grace. And this is something that you need to experience too. Just like that song, like you love me as you find me. Like just that thought alone, like, should make us feel so overwhelmed with God's love and God's God's grace that he showed us that we just want to share with everybody. Like, even even as he found me. It's too good to be true. So we need to become servants of the gospel and proclaim the gospel. But what do we proclaim? We proclaim the incalculable riches that are in Christ and made Known the multifaceted wisdom of God. And yes, I practiced those words before I preached. So, the incalculable riches, that is a weird word that, yes, that's a weird word. Uh, to, incalculable means that it is impossible to count. You cannot put it in a calculator, it doesn't make sense. And so, we, what Paul's is saying is that the benefits of knowing Jesus far outweigh anything that you could ever think or imagine. To understand how much we benefit from having a relationship with Jesus is impossible. Like you can't add it up. Like if you added up every single fun thing that you ever done, if you add up every party that you ever thought about going to, or every bad thing you ever thought about doing that you might thought was better than Jesus, if you add up every bad thing, every wrong thing, every fun thing, it does not even add up to one drop in the bucket of what it compares to having a relationship with Jesus. Because here's, here's how incalculable God's riches are. Like here's just the surface level. Like here's just the basis of what we get whenever we experience a relationship with Jesus. We know that whenever we are in Christ, that we are saved from God's wrath. That means that God's punishment is not going to be on us. That's good. It means that we get to live in paradise, in heaven, in the life after this. That whenever we die, we get to experience eternity in heaven. That's awesome. It means that whenever we accept Jesus, that we get acceptance from God. It means that we can walk in joy. It means that we can have peace. And all of our relationships that we have with other people, those can be fixed. It means that whenever our body is broken and whenever we feel sick, that God can bring healing even in our physical bodies. It means that we can have his Holy Spirit living inside of us and empowering us. But all of that is still just the surface of what it means to have a relationship that is thriving with Jesus. And so that fact that Paul, he's understanding this, he's he's getting it, he's grasping it, and it so overwhelms Paul that the prayer that we're going to preach about next week, he prays this for everybody. He says, I pray that you can just understand how wide and how high and, and the depth of God's love. He's so overwhelmed by the fact that, Jesus saved him and the grace that is he's like I pray that you can just understand just a little bit of God's love. there's not a number on earth that can add up to be worth your relationship with Christ is worth and that is what we are supposed to proclaim. but first we need to experience it like we need to have a relationship, with Jesus, not one that's just surface level relationship with but one that's all in. Like we don't have anything to proclaim. We don't have anything to show the world if we have not first experienced what a relationship with Jesus is like. And that takes going all in. It takes giving to say, Jesus, I know that you died for me. You gave your entire self for me. You put it all on the line. So God, I want to give you everything that I have. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm going to go all in with my relationship with you. And whenever you do that. That is whenever your life begins to change. That's whenever my life changed. It wasn't whenever I was going to church just for all the fun. It wasn't when I was just going to the church just because all my friends were going. It was whenever I said, Jesus, I just want you. I don't care if anyone else comes. I don't care if I lose all my friends. Jesus, I just want more of you in my, in my life. That verse I was quoting earlier says, God, he was talking to people who felt far away from him. He says, you will find me when you look for me, whenever you look for me with your whole heart. So it's not just whenever we look. It's not just like, okay, I want God. Is he over here? I don't know. Is he over here? I don't know. Maybe he was over there. I don't know. No, it's whenever you look for him with everything that you have. It's that moment whenever you realize you don't have your phone anymore and you're like, where is my phone? It was just right by me on the couch. You start flipping over couch cushions. You start flipping over couches. You start busting down the walls. I don't know what you do. But you look for your phone until you find it. God says, look for me like that. You will find me whenever you look for me with your whole heart. And once we experience and we know what a relationship with God is, we share that with everybody. Because a relationship with Jesus and and Hear me out. This is so true. A relationship with Jesus, one that you have experienced and the one that you will, that is exactly what your friends at school are looking for. But they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're looking for the love and acceptance. They're looking for joy. They're looking for something that just makes them happy. Something that just gives them a little bit of joy. Something that helps them feel like they're not alone in the world. That's what everybody is looking for in some way or another. And that is only found in Jesus. And so they're looking for Jesus without knowing it's Jesus they are looking for. A relationship with Jesus is exactly what your brother and sister need at home. It's exactly what your parents need. It's exactly what that guy and girl that you kind of hate... It's what they need because, you know, that one person who's really mean and they're kind of rude, they need Jesus. God can save even that person and change them and and make them on fire for him. So we are servants of the gospel and we proclaim the incalculable riches of Christ. But how do we receive those riches? Because we know that in Christ there's riches uh, and we're supposed to be servants of the gospel. But how do we actually receive those? How do those become ours? How do we experience that? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, uh, Paul is concluding. He says, this is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. So get this. It is God's eternal purpose for us to be in him, to experience his incalculable riches. That, goes, that takes us all, back all the way to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. The one that this series is all based on. Um, in verse 4 it says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless and loved before him. Paul he's circling around back to that thought. He says this is God's eternal purpose that you would find a relationship with him, that you would experience his joy, that you would experience the incalculable riches that don't make sense, that you can't add up, that you can experience that. So that was God's eternal purpose. And so we know, a lot of us, we are not actually experiencing that purpose. For a lot of us, that purpose is not realized in our life. For a lot of us, that purpose is not actually happening Something is keeping us from experiencing that. And that's what the Bible calls sin. We were all made in God's image. We were meant to be with God forever. That's why we were created. That's why human beings on earth, God created us in his image. To be in a relationship with him forever. You see that in the first three chapters of Genesis. And if it feels like there is something off, if it feels like there's something that's just not quite right, It's because there is. Something is off. Something is not right in the world. If it feels like there's that itch that you can't scratch, like you guys know that one on your back. or um, If it feels like there's that itch that you just can't quite scratch, it's because there is. There's something that's off. There's something that never actually feels like it fully satisfies us. I was reading an article about Christmas. I don't know why. I was just... I think it was yesterday, talking about how Christmas never seems to satisfy. It's like no matter how early Christmas decorations start coming out, and yes, there are Christmas trees in Walmart right now. It's not even Halloween. It seems like no matter even how early we start doing it, no matter when we start celebrating the the festivals, no matter when we start counting down the days to Christmas, even whenever we make it all about Jesus, like Jesus is the reason for the season, I'm going to celebrate Advent, and we're going to pray before Christmas, we're going to do all these things, it still seems like that day after there, Something didn't quite set in. Something didn't quite feel right. There's always something off. There's always that little bitty itch that we can't scratch. Something that doesn't make sense. It's because our, our hearts have eternity in them. Our hearts were made to spend with God forever. That's why God created us. There's something deep down inside every single one of us that wants to live forever. That's why sickness and death it seems so wrong. Whenever somebody's really sick, or whenever somebody that we really love is dead, yes, we something feels wrong because we're going to miss them. But something just feels off. Like that shouldn't happen. We we shouldn't die. Anxiety and depression—they feel so unnatural. It's because they are unnatural. We should not. We were not made to experience that anxiety and experience depression. To to experience loneliness—that's not God's original intent for us. If it seems like there's a war for your soul, like even whenever you want to do right, there's something on the other side, like tempting you to do wrong, it's because there is a war for your soul. So our wrongdoings and our mistakes and our flesh and our sin, it separates us from God. Whenever we mess up, it separates us from God. I was reading the other day in Second Chronicles chapter 24, it says, Because you have abandoned the Lord, he has abandoned you. Now that was before Jesus. But that's a principle. Whenever we abandon God, like, we feel like God abandons us. And the scary thing is that because of sin, like we abandoned God before we ever even realized it. Before we ever came to the decision, I'm going to do something wrong today. Before we ever came to the decision of whether we believe in Jesus or not, we have already abandoned God because sin was already living inside of us. It was that thing that is making it feel like there is something that is off. But Jesus brings us back into that relationship with, with God. He is the one who has accomplished our salvation and not us. The band will going to come back. That's what verse 12 says. And Joe, if you can go ahead and throw that verse right back up there. In verse 12, he says, In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. But right before that, he says, This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That means it was by Jesus and Jesus alone that we were able to get back into a relationship with God. And because of what Jesus did, that we can come to him with boldness and confident access. We can come to God knowing that he loves us. We can come to God knowing that he will forgive us and that we are now his children. We can go to God with boldness and we can ask him for anything we need because Jesus has accomplished it for us. Let me tell you, this means that we don't have to be afraid. Like, what is God going to think about me? What is God going to think about whenever I come to him? He's like, no, I'm I'm not going to answer your prayer because I know what you did before you came to church. No, I'm not going to do that because I know what you were thinking about that person on the other side. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because you, how you treated your parents on, on Saturday. No, we can come to God with boldness and confidence, knowing that he will hear us and that he will accept us. And that if we trust in him, that if we ask him, God, I need you. God, I, I need forgiveness. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of that thing I did wrong. We can come to him with boldness and confidence that Jesus will forgive us, that God, he will wipe that away and he won't remember it anymore. We can have boldness. We can have confidence knowing that he will love us. Say, God, I just need you. God, there's something off. God, I I need somebody. I, I feel so lonely. God, I need you. We can have confidence and boldness that God will show up and he will give you his presence. We have unlimited access to everything that we need in God. God just says, you just need to come and ask me. God says, I created the universe. I created the stars. I created you. If you want something, just come and ask me. We have an unlimited source of what we need in God whenever we come to Him, and we can come to Him with boldness and access and confidence. We have that access through Jesus. So, how do we receive these riches in this wisdom of God? It's by trusting in Jesus. He is the only way. You can't get there by yourself. You can't do it, you can't become a good enough person. It's through Jesus alone. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's by trusting that whenever he died on the cross, that he died in your place. He took your sin that you committed, and he he was innocent, but he took your sin and he died in your place so that you can be innocent before God. That is why we can have access to God. God looked down, he saw that, and he says, I accept that sacrifice. So whenever we trust in Jesus his purity, his innocence, now becomes ours. He's the only way. And that means we give God everything that we have. The only logical response whenever we understand God's grace and his mercy that he showed us is to give him our whole life. It's to say, God... I give you everything I have. God, if you call me to do something that's hard, I'm I'm giving that to you. I'm giving you my will. I'm giving you my thoughts. God, if you call me to do something that might embarrass me, I'm going to do it because I want to give you everything that I have. It's not holding anything back. And then we go to God boldly with confidence into his presence. And that's why worship is so important. What we do here before we preach, before we do anything... It's so important because this is God's access. We worship him. And and this is whenever we get to receive and we get to praise and worship God, we can go to him with boldness and confidence any time of the day. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never accepted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you never said, God, forgive me in my sins. If you never prayed and said, God, I need to be forgiven. God, I want you in my life. I want to become a son and daughter of you. God, I want to have a relationship with you. If you've never prayed that prayer to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, but you want to, something about that seems attractive. Something about that seems too good to be true. If you want that relationship and you want to say yes to him, I want you to raise your hand so that we can pray with you tonight. No way, I'm not going to make you come up to the front. I just want to know who we're praying with tonight. If you want to make that decision, you want to make that decision for the first time, you want to make sure that you know that Jesus is your Savior. You want the access to him. I want everyone to pray this prayer after me. For those who are saying it for their first time, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. God, make me new. Make me to be just like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you heard me say this before, there's nothing magic about that prayer. There's nothing magic about saying a certain words in certain order. But the Bible does say that if you trust in Jesus, like if you believe that Jesus died in your place and that he was raised from the dead, And you confess him to be your Lord and Savior with your mouth and you are saved and we're saved from God's wrath. And that means that you are now a child of God. That means you will now receive the incalculable riches. It means that we don't just say that prayer, but then we begin to give God our whole life because that is the only logical response to that. So for everyone else, everyone else who says, I already am a Christian. I've already prayed that prayer. I want to go further in my relationship with God. I want to give him everything I have. I want to do what God is calling me to do. So what do we do with this? We give God everything. That's the only logical response. But what do we do whenever we go out of here, whenever we leave the church? Be a servant of the gospel. Be a servant of the gospel and all that entails. That means you become a slave of the gospel. You say, I don't deserve this, but I got it anyways. And everyone around me needs to know that something changed inside of me and it needs to happen to them too. So we invite people, come experience what happened to me. Come experience what God can do in your life. You share hope. Say, this life is not all there is. There's so much more. God has so much more for you than you could ever imagine. And you show love. We don't judge. We don't make fun. We show love and we show grace. We show that our lives have been changed and transformed. That is what we do with this. We become servants of the gospel. So in a moment, I'm going to pray in the worship team. They're going to lead us in another great song. And during that, this is a moment and an opportunity for you again to enter into God's presence. To begin to give God everything that you have and say, Jesus, I just want to give you everything. I want to praise you. God, your grace is so good. God, I just want to thank you. I I just want to give my heart and gratitude to you because I'm just so grateful for what you did to me. This is a moment to ask God, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your power. Jesus, I thank you so much for these students. God, I thank you for the power of your word and power of your gospel. God, I pray that you begin to work in our minds and our hearts. Transform us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just give a burden in our hearts to know you more. God, I pray for those students who might still be on the edge of wondering who you are. What is it that you want for them? God, I pray that you put a burden in our hearts to dive deeper into relationship with you. Let it not be, let it be a thirst that is not easily quenched. Let it be a hunger that can only be satisfied by you, God. God, I pray that you help us to be, get into your presence. Fill us with your spirit in Jesus' name amen amen everyone else go ahead and stand up if you need any kind of prayer brooklyn and i are up here in the front ready to pray for you the leaders in the back they want to pray with you um for everyone else let's get into god's presence i'm gonna ask you again to go ahead and get away from your seats go to the wall come up to the front but let's praise and worship god one last time tonight